This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all that thing there, Keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. Yo, what's going on, people? Welcome back to another episode of the hashtag Disunomics podcast. Please make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Disunomics on youtube or you can just do youtube.com forward slash disnomics every monday by the time you've you've heard this most likely you'll listen to this on a monday morning or afternoon there will be a news video quick monday morning news for your head tops under 10 minutes catch up with the latest news in the disnomics fashion so make sure you jump on board for that and there will be additional content preview like little snippets of my podcast but if you obviously want the full thing you have to grab that on a young patreon speaking of patreon make sure you jump on patreon again by the time you listen to this another patreon podcast special with macrodisiac aka david bell talking about the markets so for those who are on their investment journey their trading journey that is a pod for you we spoke about a lot of good stuff we spoke about investing in commodities investing in silver we spoke about is the uk no longer the financial trading capital of europe and also David went into detail about some of the things you should or shouldn't probably do when you're starting off trading and investing and a lot of good advice there. So make sure you jump on that. And again, Patreon, 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 jump on board, more content for your head tops. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, that's Disonomics as well as Disonomics Pod, Twitter underscore Nomics. And I think that's pretty much about it in terms of the intros. Now this week's episode, episode 191, is split into two halves. We're going to talk about, or I'm going to talk about, you're going to listen. We're going to talk about New Zealand. How do New Zealand handle COVID so well? And why does it differ from other nations? So we're going to look into how New Zealand pattern things, as well as Pretty Patel. She's been making waves because of a LBC interview when she essentially condemned the Black Lives Matter protest. I'm going to look at that to see if she's really accurate in what she's saying. But of course... We start off with the COVID news first, New Zealand and how they pattern COVID. Hi, I it's MXM and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's late. New Zealand, a relatively small country, population of about 5 billion, is on the bottom of the map, worth a young Jeezy. I think the continent's called Australasia. I might be wrong. I actually just can't be bothered to search that right now. Excuse me, people. This is going to be one time I have to be fairly unintelligent. And they managed to handle COVID extremely well, especially when you compare it to the likes of the United States of America and United Kingdom. So the Prime Minister and the Director of, Health, Director of General Health routinely appeared on TV every afternoon, giving detailed updates and repeating important information like stay at home, save lives, all type of information. Does that different from the UK? No. For days upon days, Boris or Matt Hancock or Dominic Raab or sometimes uh, Priti Patel or the Chancellor Rishi Sunak would appear on TV to deliver the daily updates along with like uh, Professor Van Tam, um, Chris Whitty and other people. 
So it was, it was a very similar process to New Zealand. The difference is the New Zealand information was more clear, more concise and more easy to understand. And if you don't believe me, then you would, if that was the case, I wouldn't have had to do dysonomics updates so people can understand because the government were a bit of a mess. These messages were also translated to dozens of languages and pushed through communities. So not only did they put these messages in every single language they could think of, they also pushed these messages through communities, through churches, through mosques, through community leaders and social media influencers. The government did not do that here. And I think this is where one of the disconnects was in terms of the messaging and getting people to comply because it wasn't, it was on a macro scale, but wasn't also done on a micro scale within different communities. Obviously, the government are going to give the message and most people will attempt to listen. But obviously, we know there isn't that much faith in the authorities in this country. But you do have faith in your community leaders. Some people follow social media influencers that there's loads of fantastic men and women who are doing great stuff on social media and their followers and subscribers are more inclined to listen to them than maybe Boris Johnson or Priti Patel, for example. Of course, mosques, churches, synagogues, people who follow their faith are going to be more inclined to listen to the religious leaders than maybe politicians. So the government really dropped a ball in not really having an effective, like, localised message outreach. Also, the rules were clear and understandable, as were the restrictions. Whereas here, the rules were very... There was so much, So every time Matt Hancock or Boris will outline the latest lockdown rules or the ease and whatever, as soon as they go to the questions... They're asking so many different questions and they're like, oh, rah, we didn't really think of that because there's so many different hypotheticals. The government really, really made a mess of that. Now, national broadcasters were required to carry out COVID-19 updates and information and dedicated websites to where rules were clear to understand of easy explanations. To be fair, uh, BBC, Sky News, all these publications have been very heavy on providing the COVID news, having COVID divisions in their websites, etc. So the broadcasting networks have done their job, definitely in this country. But the rules have just been a bit of a mess. Behind the leadership of the Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, the New Zealand authorities explains why this, why they're making decisions and explains the um, emphasis behind them. And they also gave meaning and they were empathetic and they were compassionate with their messaging. I don't believe that you can see much empathy and compassion from the government messaging. Matt Hancock did try to come across in his angle. He's probably the only one. But I just think like maybe the mistakes he made in the beginning of the lockdown, like blaming footballers and stuff like that, or, or saying footballers should take pay cuts, didn't put him in the best position to be endearing to the hearts of the British public. But at least he tried to be compassionate in his message and everybody else a resounding failure in that regards. So when you are clear, you're concise and you're showing that you do understand where people come from, you're showing you do understand the stresses, the drawbacks, the sacrifices that everyday people can make, you're making yourself more relatable, you're making message easier to understand, so that's going to lead to more compliance and more leeway given by the public where the government, I believe, failed. Also, I think this is the biggest key. The biggest key into how, why New Zealand dealt with this better than most countries, especially United Kingdom, is this right here. New Zealand were very quick in, in border control. On the 2nd of February... Someone in the Philippines became the first person to die of COVID outside China. Remember, the virus started in Wuhan and it licked off China. The first person that was named to die of 
COVID outside of China was a man in the Philippines. And the very next day, the very next day, New Zealand banned anybody coming into the country from China or via China, unless you are a resident or a citizen of New Zealand. So if you weren't a resident of New Zealand, you weren't born and raised, you couldn't come in if from China or you couldn't come in if your flight's going via China. They did not give the fuck, give a fuck, excuse my language. And people who are residents or citizens who are coming from China or via China, they were ordered to quarantine in government ho- government-led hotel facilities for 14 days. So what our British government are implementing tomorrow, by the time you listen to this, which will be February the 15th, 2021, they have long implemented from February the 3rd, 2020. So a year later, yeah? And why this is mad is because even with this February 15th um, rollout of this hotel quarantine malarkey, Heathrow said that, yo, there's gaps in the process. Like, we're not really ready to go. The government haven't really done all their must. And we're kind of worried there's going to be, there's COVID risks. So they're still getting it wrong a year later. From March 16th, so like a month and a bit later, New Zealand locked its borders, period. Unless you are a citizen or resident from New Zealand, you cannot enter the country. They they were sending tens and thousands of, of foreigners, mainly tourists, look on a dream holiday vibe, straight back. Nope, you cannot enter. When we've closed our borders. Until this day, their borders are still closed. They went into a lockdown on March the 25th. All non-essential work stopped, including constructions and manufacturing. Remember, when we went into lockdown, and every time we went into lockdown, people who work in the construction industry are still permitted to go to work. In Australia, they locked that down, fam. Schools were closed, surfing's banned, only petrol stations, supermarkets and medical centres stayed open. Also, similar to us, they pumped billions into wage subsidies such as our furlough scheme and our job retention scheme to simply keep people in jobs as long as possible. So that's something the government did do. They pumped billions to, into the furlough scheme. When New Zealand went into lockdown, yeah, they, at that point, they had a grand total of 102 cases and zero deaths. So New Zealand went into a national lockdown before anybody got licked down. When the UK went into a lockdown, they had 6,500 cases and 330 deaths. So 330 people already died before we went into lockdown. Not a single person in New Zealand died before we went into lockdown. New Zealand were quick to lockdown. They were effective. And that's why they went over 100 days plus without a single COVID case. They initially, their strategy was initially the same as the UK one, flatten the curve, protect the health service. Do you know what I mean? Because if you keep, if you, if the health service is overmond with COVID, not only is it a risk to nurses, doctors, people working in hospital, other patients getting COVID, but also if ICU beds, intensive care beds are filled, if somebody, God forbid, has an accident, and these hospital intensive care bed, there isn't a bed for them because it's been used up by COVID. And that's when you start getting key operations and emergency services pushed back and not being able to cope. That's why it was key to flatten the curve. But New Zealand said, no, I'm not just flattening the curve. We're trying to eliminate COVID. And they effectively managed to do that. 
of course, New Zealand being an island and also being on the bottom of the earth gives a comparative advantage. But however, that advantage is not as big as it seems because UK are also on the island. China are a massive country. They still manage to pattern the virus. Another key advantage New Zealand had was that their civil service had experience with dealing with national crises. In 2019, they had a volcanic eruption that killed 22 people. They had a Christchurch mosque terror attack where 51 people were fortunately killed. They've had mine explosions. They've had earthquakes. So they're used to dealing with crises. So they were ready to rock and roll. The mad thing is, obviously in the UK, we haven't had as many crises compared to um, New Zealand. But as I said in some of my earlier pods, the UK were known for having some of the best crisis response and resources looking from looking at the 7-7 bombings and stuff like that. One of the best in the world. It was, it was the end of the world. But in 2010, something happened. The Conservatives came in power. And I'm not a Conservative hater. Well, I am a Conservative hater. I hate everybody. Just politics. But I'm not like a Labour. This is not me doing a politics thing. A left-wing, I'm a left-wing rider. This is just facts. When the Conservatives came in 2010, which of course, two or three years removed from the financial crisis, they entered austerity. And this is when you squeeze public spending, you make cuts because, to balance the books because of economic downturn. And one of the cuts in public spending was the, was the stocks and uh, spending it on the infrastructure and supplies of crisis management. That's why when COVID licked us, we were done out here in terms of PPE equipment. My friends who work on the front lines were getting old expired PPE kit with stickers above them. All these things make a difference when you are fighting a global pandemic. And as I said today, till this day, New Zealand borders still are closed for everybody except residents and citizens. And even now, they have to quarantine for 14 days. And this will remain intact until a significant proportion of the country is vaccinated. So that is how New Zealand have patterned the COVID situation. And you could tell by some of the differences why we are still in the mud. Like, while we are still in a very, very peak situation. Boy, pretty, pretty, pretty Patel. I'm not even sure if I'll say she made a storm because I'm not sure if anybody outside um, ethnic minority communities care. But yes, do you know what? It's probably best. Let me play the clip first before I even introduce this very, 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 very strange, strange, strange foreign secretary, not foreign secretary, home secretary. ...in place. And obviously I'm going to bring it back. You saw police in as well coming under a great deal of pressure through some of the protests. I don't support protests and I also did not support the protests that were associated... You don't support protest? I, I didn't support the protests. Oh, that protest. I thought you said you didn't support yes. protests at all. I know it's a no, draconian government, those, but I didn't know I could go to jail no, for 10 those, years for protest. protests. You do go on. Well, well, those protests were dreadful. And just Indeed. Dreadful mm. that on the police in particular. Right. Um, but Ben has made a point about um, supporting role models or encouraging more role models. And, you know, we should always do that, um, you know, around causes. But what about taking the knee? We, you might uh, note, I don't know how much of a sports fan, fanatic you are, you might note that some Scotland rugby players decided they would not. You have some soccer players, uh, football players now saying it, it, it's passed. Would you still take the knee, Home Secretary? No, I wouldn't. I would not. I would not have at the time either. There are other ways in which people can express their opinions 
protesting in the way in which people did last summer was not the right way at all. Um, and I also think, you know, we saw statues being brought down, a mass dialogue, well, not quite mass dialogue, but some councils making quite, quite frankly, a stance around statues and street names. There are other ways in which those discussions right. can take place. And also, quite frankly, I didn't support that attempt to rewrite history. I felt that that was wrong. That was wrong. That was wrong. That was so wrong. those were the words of the Home Secretary Preeti Patel. And you know what? Let's get into this. So at first she said she doesn't support protests, which clearly she meant that. And then she realized, oh, I actually can't say that I don't support protests as the Home Secretary of a democratic country. And then she went on to talk about the Black Lives Matter protest, how she went, like, listen, if you don't take a knee, don't take a knee, whatever. There's different ways to have discussion. What what other ways have you tried to have a discussion about Black Lives Matter? What other ways? What other ways? So she spoke on the protest and she she spoke on the protest in a generalistic manner that she didn't, she said the way the protests were done, they were not good because of violence or whatever. So I think it's only right to actually look at the protest. There were several protests over several weekends and several days regarding the Black Lives Matter um, ideology, right? On different occasions, there were hundreds of thousands of people. One time there was said to be over 200,000 people to do this protest. One weekend, 137,000 people, da, 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 da. Hundreds of thousands of people, so many people. Naturally, when you have a large amount of people in areas, there's always the, the likelihood there will be some people being arrested. Like outside a football game, people be arrested. Outside concerts, people be arrested. On a night out, people be arrested. At festivals, people be arrested. But it's almost always a minority, a very small minority of these people, and you don't con condemn football matches from going on because people protest, because people got arrested. You don't condemn festivals because people get arrested. You don't, well, unless it's um, not in a whole carnival, that's a story for another day. You don't condemn clubs being open because people get arrested outside of them or pubs or bars. Why this? Okay, so let's look, let's actually look at the facts because this is this is economics. We're only talking facts here. We don't talk in, we don't do the feeling thing. So in early June, I think it's like June 8th. I can't remember. I didn't write that date down. Black Lives Matter protests happened all over the country where... 137,500 people apparently protested. That's the estimates. 135 people got arrested. So 135 people across 200 different protests got arrested. That's not even, that's just over like one every two. Yeah? One every two protests, though, one person got arrested. So 135 out of 137,500 people. I'll repeat that again. 135 outside 137,500 people were arrested. So that is 0.098%. So 0.01% of protesters across 200 protests in the country were arrested. Yet, Preeti is describing this as violent. She disagreed with the way people protested. She disagreed with the way 0.01% of people protested if you're looking at arrests. Let her know we don't even know why they got arrested for. Trust me, being a Londoner, being a black boy, you know sometimes you can get arrested on some bullshit. 
But let's just see, assume these people were due to get arrested. What was Priti Patel's words at this time? She said, and I quote, 137,500 people, mostly peaceful protests, but a few, a few lawless protesters, uh, a few protesters turned lawless. 35 police officers endured injuries during this, during this period. According to Met Police, so far, 13 people have been like, these people have been charged. Three people for violent disorder, four people for assault on police, two on drug offences, and three on public orders matters. So really seven people have been charged for activities. On separate occasions, hundreds of thousands of people are protested. This is what she disagrees with. This is not made up data. This is data from the Met. This is data from Pritchie Patel. I didn't make this up. This didn't come from blacklivesmatter.com. Now, what she also went on to talk about was statues and streets. That's what the issue is. Because people were like, nah, they're statues of slave owners. They're statues of Winston Churchill, which I'm going to go into. So we, people are like, nah, this is symbolising racism. This is symbolising colonialism. These shouldn't be here in this modern British society. I don't know how you can argue with that. Now, on the 13th of June, 2010, thousands of right-wing white British activists hit the streets. What was their objective? Because people wanted to take down the statue of Winston Churchill. Now, this statue, they want to protect the statue. I don't know how you protect the statue. Statue doesn't really move. The statue had already been boarded up. I'm not sure if it's steel or whatever. And it was already being guarded by police officers. So these nationalists, patriots, whatever you want to call them, went to protect a statue that's been protected by metal and also been protected by police officers. On that day, over 100 people were arrested. Now, remember, I told you 135 people across three days, across 137,000 protests. 100 people, not tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands, just thousands. So the percentage went down. The percentage went up, sorry. The percentage of people went up. And we've actually, on Twitter and social media, we weren't really seeing violent clashes with police at all across the Black Lives Matter protest. We would have seen them all over TV. They would have been happy to do that. That day when the white British nationalists marched down to London, we saw it everywhere. We saw police cameramen being, I mean, media cameramen being chased. We saw cameras being pushed out of people's hands, slapped out of people's hands. We saw people punching police, throwing stuff at police. We saw a man do some sort of Macarena move to go and attempt to punch a female police officer. We saw this in HD. The haram was shown on the big screen, fam. Do you get? So that's the only time there was actual significant violence when it came to protest. And that was an anti-Black Lives Matter, protect Winston Churchill, the racist slave, the racist colonialist, yeah? And this, and, but somehow, Preachy's talking about Black Lives Matter protests like it was mad violent. The only violent, only violence of any significance occurred by the right-wing anti-nationalists. However, Boris and Preeti and them, they did condemn them. But when, but in that video clip that I just played you, audio, audio, audioly, that's not even a word, via audio, Brittany Patel is referencing she disagreed with the way Black Lives Matter protested. 
the Black Lives Matter protests were 99.9% peaceful. Now, let's go on to her talking about, she didn't like about stuff like we saw in Bristol when people threw a slave statue into the water and all that. Let's talk about Winston Churchill right now. And I wasn't even going to, but let me just search my Twitter because I had to dunk on some British people who tried to tell me Winston Churchill wasn't racist and he was a war hero. And because of that, blah, blah, blah. Winston Churchill protected our freedom. They say me, I'm a black man. I'm from Nigeria. These times at the time, Nigeria was still under colonial rule of Britain. So because Winston Churchill defeated Hitler, he is now the hero that must be glorified forever. Everybody must accept him as a hero. Winston Churchill being less evil than Hitler doesn't make him a hero. It just makes him less evil than Hitler. And even that one, boy, we can even debate that one. So on Twitter, during this time, I said as a joke, a big bad war hero, Winston Churchill, witness protection, yeah? Mad, mad, because obviously there's a police and it's still curtain. People are asking, the alternative under Hitler will be better for you. First things first, who was pro-Hitler? Nobody. But I said, hmm, mass murdering racist versus mass murdering racist. Like, <laughs> which one am I meant to choose? I don't know. I'm spoke for choice. And that whole period in June just showed what this country is when it comes to racism. We were going to support, and people saying, yeah, like, this is just ruined it for Black Lives Matter because we people in this country would have supported you lot, but you lot ruined it. So essentially they're saying, we were going to support your fight for, we were going to support you on your fight for black people to be treated equally. But if you tell us the truth about Churchill, then that's a step too far. Sorry, no support from us. That's basically what the streets, the British streets were telling us. Now, let me read you a tweet from a gentleman named Jay Beecher, journalist and democracy campaigner, centre-right work covered by Express, Time, Spectator, etc. Vote Leave coordinator. Very accomplished man. He tweeted, if it weren't for Churchill, black people wouldn't be living in the UK, nor most of Europe. Black Lives, black Lives Matter protesters would, wouldn't be allowed to lament over false oppression or screaming cultural appropriation when wearing Western clothes and 200 pound tra trainers created by white Western white designers. Churchill, who had Kenyans in concentration camps. Ooh, we should be so grateful for the great Winston Churchill. Churchill fought for our freedom, so I should be grateful. This is the same Churchill that was put in hundreds of thousands. Some documentation say millions of people into concentration camps, camps to be beaten and raped. This is the, this is who Priti Patel is saying that we re, we are rewriting history. Like I'm sorry if you're out here ordering mass murder, rape, and all them things there. You are not no hero. I'm sorry. How is that heroic? Why should people celebrate you? Because you won a war. Oh, that's like saying we should celebrate Jimmy Savile even though he did charity work. It's fucking stupid. Let me keep it going. Churchill, who planted the seed to strip voting rights on black people in South Africa. In June 1906, Churchill argued that the Africans, Africaners, should, not, should, should be allowed a self-rule, which would mean black people would be excluded from voting. But Churchill's fighting for my freedom. I... Bet. Let me let me drop you some more quotes. Thousands were sent to British-run concentration camps during the Boer Wars. Churchill summed up his time in South Africa by saying it was great fun galloping about. That's how man's talking about 
pattern in these concentration camps, like to say he went on a excursion. In the 50s, Churchill didn't think Kenyans should have access to their fertile land, only the colonisers. Rape, castration, cigarettes, electric shots and fire were all used by British to torture the Kenyan people on Churchill's watch. Let's take it back a bit, 1920s. This is Churchill on bobbing civilian areas in Iraq. I am strongly in favour of using poison gas against uncivilised tribes. It will spread lively terror. Our hero Churchill on using gas in the Middle East and India. Peaceful protest, we say. Churchill ordered the massacres of 48 anti-Nazi protesters with over 120 injured. The army turned army turned their guns on them in 19, 1944. Let me, another quote for you. Tell them that if, if we have any more of their cheat, we'll set the Jews on them and drive them into the gutter from which they, sh they should have never emerged. Churchill on how to control the Egyptians in 1951. In World War II, World War II Churchill were warned if they continue to pump resources from India, millions of people will die of starvation. Estimated four Bengalis died. He, died. he said, I hate Indians. They are beastly people with, with a beastly religion. Their famine was their own fault for breeding like rabbits. Winston Churchill. But apparently, Black Lives, Black Lives Matter protesters are trying to rewrite history. Many of you, many of the British people, Priti Patel herself, probably didn't even know to the extent what Churchill was on. Because it was whitewashed through history. Do you know how many documents over the colonial time were, were ordered to be burnt by Britain? I actually diverted. I wasn't even meant to get to Churchill. But sorry, I was so agitated by the audacity of Pretty Patel. What an absolute cow. She's a suck out. She's a cow. She's a self-hater. I just, I can't believe as a, as a woman and ethnic minority, how she goes on. Because it's not even your own vested interest for your people. Unless you just don't really fuck with your people, which is clear. So yeah, fuck Pretty Patel. Fuck the government. They don't give a fuck about racism. And black people in 2021... I know we're not a monolith. I know there's different ways to tackle racism, but please, could we stop this raising awareness bullshit? They are aware. They don't fucking care. They don't care. It was all Black Lives Matter until we tried to remove a statue of a flipping mass murdering racist who ordered rape and torture on innocent people. He sentenced people to starve. No, no, I'm not doing that. But yeah, that's this week's Disney podcast. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Make sure you jump on the Patreon. And until next week, people, peace and blessings. Sports Social Podcast Network.